Football is about the Jimmys and Joes and X's and O's. Blue 58! Blue 58! Check New York Bozo! New York Bozo! 28, Baker Bruce! It's time to get out the chalkboard and diagram some plays. Here's where it all starts right here. Let's play! G-Money Christmas! What the hell's going on out here? This is Inside Football with former Colts and NFL coach Rick Venturi. For the third time in four years, the Colts face a win-and-you're-in playoff scenario in the regular season finale. If the Colts beat the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday, they'll make the postseason for the third time under Frank Reich as a wildcard team. But they'll have to do it in a place where they haven't won since 2014. Beating the Jacksonville Jaguars on the road will not be a layup for the Colts here in week number 18. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Inside Football with Rick Venturi. I'm Matt Taylor, but the man you came for is Rick, who has 27 years of coaching experience in the NFL. Rick, the loss for the Colts to the Raiders last Sunday, that was a gut-wrencher. The Colts blew a big chance, and luckily it's not fatal, but it was definitely disappointing considering it was the regular season home finale for the Colts and a chance to probably clinch the fifth seed in the AFC playoffs. Yeah, it was gut-wrenching in that sense, Uh, you know, my coaching background immediately, not necessarily on Monday, but by now, totally focuses on Jacksonville. Um, and, and the thing is, is when we remember in that early part of the season after one and four, I, I, kind of, I kind of call that next phase that climb to five. And when we got even at five and five, I said, you know, our goal is to win 10. You know, and that's still, mm-hmm. we win 10, we're in. That's, that's the key issue. So, you know, the good news on that is that it wasn't a fatal loss. I think we got to the 10 probably not like we expected to get to the 10, but we got to the 10 because we beat two top teams and then slipped up against the Raiders. The biggest thing to get out of the game to me is, you know, what are the issues that could plague us going forward, Matt, more than anything else, rather than just, you know, wind it down, okay? And I think this proved one thing to this team is that, you know, basically they've got to come with their A game no matter what. Now, that's obvious now because everything, including Sunday, is won and done the rest of the way. But you can't beat teams, uh, particularly competitive teams like the Raiders who are on the fringe of the playoffs, if you don't have your A game. I mean, you know, Frank said it best. They were better prepared tactically and emotionally. They outplayed us, and particularly they jumped on us early, which is uncharacteristic. We've been playing great first quarters, but it just didn't work out. So, you know, I think that is to be learned from. You know, there just can be no substitute for your A game, you know, going forward, and really not just going forward now, but forever and ever. I think this is one uh, you really learn from. And then I, I think there are some some tactical things to be learned. The the you know the fact that our special teams gave up tons of yardage is that does I mean I didn't like it at the time, but that doesn't bother me because that's that's an anomaly. That's a one time thing. I guarantee you uh, that Bubba will be on their butt, and that will not happen again. And normally you can judge a team's emotional level by how the special teams cover. And, you know, that was kind of an indication to me that we're not quite right. But that's not a lingering issue to me. I mean, that's a strength. Here's the lingering issues that I think we have to be really careful and make sure that we address. Number one, I don't think we can sit there, and and I think we've overcorrected a bit, Matt, from the Tampa game. I think 
we got so much criticism and not giving it to Jonathan. And there is a dilemma there. There's a coaching dilemma because you don't want to get away from Jonathan. You want at the end of the day to him to carry it because he is the ambient player on this team. There's right. no question about it. He is tremendous. And so you do want to get it to him. But I think you can overcorrect there. You don't have to have 50-50 balance. I think that would be wrong for this team. But you also, Matt, and you hear me say it all the time, you can't allow a team to line up in an eight-man box and shoot people, you know, just you know, 100% of the first intents. There's got to be periods in time where you attack that outside, attack those corners who are undressed out there, and you can't because you're not going to go to the mountaintop on 148 yards passing. You, you, you're just not. No matter how good Jonathan is, that is not going to happen when you get to the highest levels because you're going to have to score points. I just broke down uh, Kansas City and Cincinnati this morning. That looked like the AFL 1965. Right. I mean, it was just exactly. the offense is going back and forth. And that's the reason I'm making this statement. I'm not being critical. I'm just saying we got to address that. And then, again, I always say this, and, and – and I guess it's negative, it's, but, but there's positives, is we always have to keep Carson mechanically right and on the reservation. He's a kid that has grown up his whole life being the best athlete on the playground. And he does a lot of things just on his athletic ability. We saw it in the Arizona game. He makes a game-winning play. His overall numbers have been very, very good. But there have been those times where the mechanics get away from him you see erratic throws, even in the Arizona game. He, he brought it back in the fourth quarter. But for two quarters, he was erratic. And when he's erratic, it's usually sales high, and that's because he's not set correctly, not ready to throw at, you know, when it's on time. And then some of those judgmental errors could cost you. I hate those left-handed throws. I just Every time I see one of those, I see disaster uh, hit striking us in the face. And yet, you know, he's a guy that has played well overall. He can win games for us. It's just a matter of... Let's let's know when to win it and and when not to win it. And then and then I would think this has been a season long problem for us. The third thing, and and I think I know what the big reason for it is is that our defense has not had the ability to close out games when they need to close out games. And it's you know obviously the double digit leads that have gotten up, but our fourth quarter statistics are what they are. We can you know we can swipe it under the rug. But we've given up 144 points in the fourth quarter, 9, 9.0 per. That's number 30. And two games specifically, you know, in this last month is Tampa, the game is tied, and Sunday, the game is tied, and both teams go the length of the field to beat us. Right. And so, you know, you have to fix. So it's kind of those three things to me as I came out of that game uh, really looking at. And then – you know, I think this is a wake-up call for our stars. You know, you know, basically we've had guys play at a high level for so long, but in the end, Sunday, Carr and Renfro, I always say that last big play was kind of a microchasm of the day, is that Carr and Renfro made big plays and Kenny Moore and, and, and Darius Leonard did not. And they're really, you know, a lot of times in the NFL, it just comes down to that last four mm -hmm. minutes and who makes the plays there. So, I'm not at all down about it. You know, I, uh, you know, we talked about it going in. We knew that with Carr and with Greg Olson running the offense and with some edge rushers, 
you know, and Jacobs. And I knew, I said Renfro is the best possession receiver in the league. I said that about 100 times last week. I mean, so we knew, you and I knew that this was a danger spot on the season. And it got away from us. But like I said, my goal was to win 10 and get in. And we take care of business Sunday. We win 10 and get in. Well, when you go back and look at that game from an offensive standpoint, the the good things that stood out, and you talked about it already, but the Colts' ability to dominate the end of the half and the beginning of the second half, right? They scored 14 points between Raider possessions at the end of the second quarter and the beginning of the third quarter. Jonathan Taylor despite the, the Raiders selling out to slow him down, still goes uh, over 100 yards for the ninth time this season, broke the Colts' single-season rushing record. Michael Pittman goes over 1,000 yards receiving for the season. Um, but the Colts, again, had a hard time being efficient in the passing game. They only throw for 148 yards, and the Colts know. I mean, they, they've got to be more consistent. Yep. They've got to be more efficient in the passing game if teams are going to load up the box to stop Jonathan Taylor in the playoffs. I mean, if you're only going to throw it 25, 26 times per game, Rick, you have to complete you know, somewhere around 18, 19, 20 passes for a couple of touchdowns in order for that formula to work. No, that's exactly right, Matt. You, could, you couldn't be more right. I mean, you know, basically there's three phases of the game that I always look at and, 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 de- and I think they determine the victory. The start of the game is very important because it establishes kind of momentum and tone the middle eight, as people call it, we call I call it the roundabout in, in deference to Hamilton County Street System, <laughs> the roundabout <laughs> around the half, and then there's the finish. And in this one, we won one-third of them and dominated the second and third quarterback. Unfortunately, they won the first and the third phase and really scored 20 points in two quarters. But you're exactly right, and I, I referenced that before. I just you You don't balance to me is not 50% running, 50% passing. But what it is is the production has to be 50%. Mm-hmm. Because teams, I've said it all year, as good as Jonathan is, I mean, that was 100, hard, 100 plus hard. I mean, you, you talk about hard yards. I mean, we saw that in that, in that fourth quarter drive. I mean, he was just spinning, run, driving. I mean, that was hard earned. But the 148 is what kills you, and it's you know it's not necessarily the numbers, but you've got to push the ball downfield. You've got to get, as you as you alluded to, you have to get plays out of that because if you don't, then you let a team do something that most NFL teams can't get by with, and that's undress their corners. You know the the whole game. I would I would only add one thing to uh, kind of the musts. We have really struggled lately. Uh, with picking up blitzes. And I don't know if it's the fluidness of our offensive line, if it's Carson not recognizing it, but we have really had some blitzes, a lot of blitzes come free. That hasn't always necessarily killed us, but it it has in in some situations. And, you know, a team like Jacksonville got absolutely nothing to lose. They could bring it every down. Plus the teams you're going to play in the playoffs are going to see that and come after you. So I, I, I think that has to be fixed. But, you know, I would I would say the big thing is, you know, if there's 20 first downs, let's say there's 20 first downs in a game, okay, on tw- the way they're playing us right now, 20 of them are going to be eight-man fronts with, with either man free or cover three right. on the outside. So yeah. to me, it isn't it isn't throw 10 and run 10. It may be run it may be pass six times and run uh, and run 14 times if you follow what I'm mm-hmm. saying because. What happens to Carson, and I'm not going to make excuses for him, but all of a sudden you come up third down and we had another really bad day on third down. 
But see, on third down is when you get the blitzes, when our receivers get tight man coverage that they don't get on first and second down. So, you know, by not exploiting that first down, you back yourself into a corner and you get behind the chains. You get, you know, I always call it, you get in disadvantage. Those are disadvantage situations. And and we just got to get our way out of it. So I think it's the run pass balance, not in Mm -hmm. numbers, but in production. All right, meanwhile, on defense against the Raiders, the Colts notch two more takeaways. They lead the NFL with 33 takeaways on defense, and they now have at least two takeaways in 12 games on the season, a couple of interceptions off of Derek Carr. They held the Raiders in check to only 85 yards rushing. Um, They only give up 23 for the game, and the front four pass rush showed up at times, particularly with Quiddy Pay. He had a nice couple of moves to uh, get after the quarterback, but again, when it mattered most, the Colts defense couldn't get a stop on the final drive. And when you look at the game in totality, Rick, I mean, it's it's a little uneven. And Frank Reich talked about that on Colts Roundtable Live. Like, it was a good performance by the defense. But if you ask everybody on defense, it wasn't a good performance because they didn't do enough to win the game that day when the offense only scores 20 points. So you like the fact that the Colts defense is giving up only 14 points per game in the last month, but they gave up big plays when it mattered most to Derek Carr and company. Yeah, no question about it. And as a defensive coordinator, I'll be honest with you, you take it personal. There is nothing mm-hmm. worse than not being able to finish a game when it's either tied or you've got a lead. There, it's just, it just eats you away. I mean, I took that personal for 41 years, so I know what that means. Because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter how many points they got or you got. It's Did you get more yeah, points than did that? You win the and game. If, yeah. if you don't, then everybody's not doing their job. Now, there are some things that are really, really good. I, I thought – our defense, though, it was on its heels in the first drive. You know, they pretty much shredded us, really did anything they wanted to do. But we really settled in, and, you know, the second and third quarter, we really owned it, you know, in, the, in that sense. Um, you know, two turnovers. Obviously, Leonard is the magnet. There's no one like him. But, again, I just think Rodgers is really climbing. I, I think that he – and I've said this, I said this in training camp, and it's coming to fruition. He is the best on-the-ball corner we have. I'm not saying necessarily the best cover guy, but he is the best. When that ball's in the air, you want him competing with that other guy because he goes back and really plays the hell out of it. You can see the ball skills. I think the fact that he and Yasin are playing pretty solid overall is really important. I think, you know, I think those two kids are playing pretty doggone good, much more sticky, you know, we held them to 85 yards rushing. Now, this is what I like about a little bit better rush. I don't think it's good enough in the fourth quarter, but but here's what I, I did like about it. I thought that Quiddy Pay's sack this week was his first true win the one-on-one mm-hmm. sack the quarterback, not fall off late because of coverage, right. not because the scheme got you there. He's gotten a lot of easy things happen to him, really, his numbers. But Sunday – he had a terrific hump move. If you remember, Reggie White made that famous, and I didn't notice it at the time, but as I studied the tape, I mean, he came up and what we call humped the tackle. He took him, took his inside right arm and just humped him out of the way and hit the quarterback. So that was really encouraging. The other thing that I like, and I've suggested this for a long time, is just get a unit on third down. You don't need all that rotation, okay? You don't need all that rotation, particularly – in gut-wrenching time. And so the best rush people we put out there is Toure at one edge when in, and, and Pay on the other edge, and then Buckner and Dale inside. That is our best rush package. 
And that is the rush package that we're playing more and more. And I like that because I think the more those guys play together, the more you can run stunts, the better you're going to be. We don't have to be an intramural team in that sense. We really don't. Now, I still think we have to be better in the fourth quarter. For some reason, you know, in that fourth quarter, when we really need to turn it loose, we haven't been able to get at the quarterback, you know, in that sense. And then, of course, the elephant in the room, and I'm not going to con- continue to belabor it. We've already talked about it, is the, um, you know, is, is again the fourth quarter stuff. So, you know, uh, this was a game, you know, I, you know, Leonard had the big, he had two big whiffs. Even though he had the turnover, he had the whiff on Richard. Uh, on that key third down in that third quarter, um, which really hurt us because it got them at, there was a third and three, and then he whiffed on Carr on the, uh, you know, so here's your best player. You want to get that back. And Kenny had a forgettable day, but I'm telling you, if you put him one-on-one, now most of the time he can hang in there, but Renfro is another cat, and that's something that bothers me a little bit of our defense. We never seem to have that plan for that key guy, but, you know, overall, the biggest things that we're doing on defense, the most important thing we're doing is we're keeping the point total down. We're number 11 in the league, and that's damn good. Mm-hmm. And then if you put next to that the 31 turnovers, that's a pretty good formula for success. Keep the point total down and turn it over. That, Even though a lot of things are gray and aren't beautiful, those two things are pretty good. The biggest thing to fix, again, is that fourth quarter, and, and it's really not so much coverage anymore as it is pass rush and getting after the quarterback, you know, and, and because our sack total is 23rd, it's just, it's indicative. It kind of goes hand in hand with that fourth quarter. You're 23rd and you're 30th, mm-hmm. you know, in that sense. I think the other thing is we got to do a much better job on tight ends. We're 32nd in covering tight ends. So, you know, I think those three things are the things that you really have to focus on, not just in Jacksonville, but as we encounter these elite teams going forward. All right, let's talk about the Jaguars. They're up next. Let's get into them on the big picture. Jacksonville, week 18, they fired their head coach, Urban Meyer. We all know that. He's been gone since the middle of December with a myriad of off-the-field problems, (laughs) offensive coordinator, to put it lightly. Daryl Bevel is now the interim coach, just as he was last year, ironically, in Detroit after Matt Patricia got fired. Um, They're 2-14, a loss for them on Sunday, Rick, to the Colts, assures them of the number one overall pick in the draft for the second straight year. They lost to the Colts 23-17 to at Lucas Oil Stadium back in mid-November. That started an eight-game losing streak that they're currently on. They were blasted by the Patriots last Sunday, 50-10. to That tied for the third-largest defeat in franchise history. The offense has lost its best running back in James Robinson. He's out with an Achilles injury. Rookie quarterback Trevor Lawrence, he leads the NFL in picks. He's only got one touchdown pass in the last four games. He's definitely had a rocky season. Uh, The defense is giving up almost 28 points per game. Rick, anything else I missed on the Jaguars on the big picture? No, that's exactly right. Now, I'm going to approach this one with you as if I were coaching this team, okay? Because the, the analyst in me, the analyst in all of this, and I worry about this because this is the atmosphere that the players are in this week just kind of had the reverse of what they were in in the New England game when everybody was pumping them up. Now they're saying, well, are you going to be the fifth, sixth, or seventh seed? Mm-hmm. They're not even saying 
Jacksonville. And I worry about that. And here's some, here's some reasons that I worry, because as an analyst, there's absolutely nothing when you peel back statistically that tells you that there's a path for victory for the Jaguars. But I'm going to peel the onion and show you what I think the concerns are. First of all, any NFL team, and I've been, I've been there, when you come off a humiliating performance, there is a pride factor there. And they're going to try to come back and play really hard. Joe Wright's made a good he made a, a good point the other day, and I believe this too is sometimes a team that has had that bad record and they know they got one left. It's almost like, hey, let's let it go. It's going to be over now. Let's just go out for four quarters and play. Right. And sometimes that loosens you up. It makes it a little scary. Now. I don't know how much to put on Jags history, but it hasn't been good. We know that for some reason or another. I don't, you know, I don't like to say that last year's game has anything to do with this year's game. Now, the biggest place that I would put the focal point on, I don't know that I would show that game last week other than if you want to show certain things tactically and cut them out of the tape. I would not have my players ever watch that from beginning to end. But what I would put all my focus on is Week 10 mm-hmm. Colts-Jaguars. That's what I'm going to put all my focus on. Because if you go back, if you go back, and I studied that game last Friday, okay, you know, that game is 23-17. to 17, And if Dayo doesn't knock that ball out on our own 40, they have, they have enough time to really go down and win it. So don't think of them as losing 50-13. to 13. Right. Think of that game going down to the wire. I think it's really effective. And why did they do that? Well, first of all, they played a very physical game. We didn't put them away early. I thought we were going to, but Agnew had that big run, which changed kind of the complexion. Looks like we were going to run them out of the gym, but we left them off the hook, and we allowed a bad team to what I call hang on the vine. Even when I coached bad teams, I used to tell my team, just hang on the vine early, hang on the vine early. Because I I know that what happens is you get a couple stops, you start gaining confidence, you build confidence within the game. Mm -hmm. And I saw that in that game. And basically they held our offense, if you really look at it, for three and a half quarters, really – to only like three points. I mean, they, 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 they played very well. I think it was probably, it may have been the worst performance by our offensive line this year. They just got going and they just kind of out physical us in there. Um, you know, they, they basically held us to two, two field goals in three and a half quarters after that really good start. They did a really good job. They outrushed us, which is, you know, that's hard to believe, but they did. I mean, they, they outrushed us like 197 to 127, and they got a lot of yards on the edge. You know, and what they'll do, and we'll get into that, but what they'll do is, you know, they'll get those wide receivers. Now, it was Agnew who burned us for that, what was it, 70-yard run, 67-yard run, when we were running away with it and all of a sudden changed. Well, they're using Tavon Austin, my old boy from the Rams. They're using him to do that now, or, or LaVisca Chenault. Those guys will come in there because they're running backs now. Ogan Bawali, you know, and, and uh, Armstead are bangers. I mean, they're, they're tackle-to-tackle guys. They're going to, you know, if you're soft inside, they're going to push it. They don't have the ability that Robinson. Robinson did a good job of against us two years in a row, bouncing the edge. So what Jacksonville tries to compensate with is they'll put those receivers back in there and all of a sudden speed up the game. And the two areas that really hurt us on defense – 
that we have to be better on is those edge runs, particularly by the wide receivers. And then I thought one of the worst things that we did in a game is that we let the quarterback, who's really only attribute right now is his ability to scramble. Right now, you know, he's lost half the time. He's inaccurate. He stares it in. I mean, he doesn't look like the number one pick in the draft at this point. But what he was able to do was he was able to make key first downs, keep the ball moving, allow them to have a little bit of ball control with his legs. I mean, he had 33 yards, and I think two of them were critical, critical first downs. So, you know, I mean, that's the stuff That's the stuff that we looked at. And, and again, at the, at the very end of the game, they're driving down there with us. You know, we got a six-point lead, and I know – you and I had our hearts in our hearts and our throat right there. Mm-hmm. And then Dale, Dale came up, Buckner got a, a, a good fallback tackle and Dale got the strip. So, I mean, you know, when you, when I look at statistics, I say there's no path to victory. Right. But then when I look at that game, I go, no, there is a path to victory. So let's make sure we understand that. And let's go in with that in mind. Yeah. I mean, they almost achieved that path to victory, right? Yeah. Back in week number yes. 10, I you're mean, exactly it's right. Live and in person. And I think that's a good thing looking back because, you know, rather than focus on that new England game where the quarterback just throws the ball to him every other down and <laughs> right. it just gets out of hand. And they played with no, a no, bunch no. of guys on Go, COVID. Look at week 10. Look yeah. at week 10. It's right there. And the Jaguars two wins this season. I mean, I I don't want to get too cliche on this, but their their two wins on the season are against teams that have an eighteen and fourteen record combined. Right? Yeah. They beat the Bills, <laughs> who are ten and six, and they beat the Dolphins, who are eight and eight. And those are two yeah. quality wins in the NFL. So it's not as if it can't happen. Yeah, you know when, when you know when the the term on any given Sunday, no doubt, was, no doubt, was basically written for the NFL, and mm-hmm. and we got to understand that. And I just. I want the focus there. That's where my focus is going to be, and that's where I want my team's focus to be. All right, let's talk about the blueprints. Let's talk about the Jaguars on offense. The Jags only scoring 14 points per game. That's dead last in the NFL. They haven't scored more than 21 in a game since week six. They're not very special running it or throwing it. They're bottom tier in most uh, of the categories on offense. Uh, they're dead last in turnover margin and turnovers on offense with 32 giveaways. Trevor Lawrence at quarterback this season, 10 passing touchdowns. He leads the NFL with 17 picks. He has a passer rating of 69.6 this season. That's the lowest passer rating among all 32 qualified quarterbacks. As I said, James Robinson is done for the season. He is their young and bright tailback. Carlos Hyde and Jamal Agnew, uh, who the Colts saw back in Week 10, those guys are done for the season as well with injuries. Uh, Laquan Treadwell and Marvin Jones, Rick, those are the closest things they have yep. right now as weapons on the outside. No, you're exactly right. And the only the only scary thing about the quarterback is his overall, overall athleticism and his strong arm. You know, as they say, even a blind squirrel will find an acorn if he has enough time, you know. And if, you know, this is now, this is going on the 17th game, and we know what his weaknesses are, and I think we'll capitalize on being the turnover team we are. I mean, my goodness, they're minus 22 in turnover ratio. That's, in, that's unheard of. Right. I mean, but, but at the same time, he's really good on the bootlegs, which we've suffered with, and he can get out there and throw a long ball. So there, there are some saving graces with him. Like I said, he kept a lot of plays alive running i think if we can confine him which i'll get into the must that's what you want to do and make him play nfl football he'll come to us 
I think the receiver core is actually decent, really. Uh, you know, uh, Marvin Jones. You know, he he leads that basically. You know, he's got you know he's got a lot of catches. Uh, you know, he's got 66 catches, and you know he is the go-to guy. I always talk about the go-to guy, and I say that for a reason because when you got a go-to guy, let's make sure we have a defense that, in critical situations, not every down. But Jones is going to be the guy on third down. He's going to be the guy in the you know in the red zone, and you 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 got to make sure he's a legitimate guy. Uh, you know what Treadwell has become for them is kind of the big deep threat, even though he's not tremendously fast, but he's a big bank board type of guy. They'll isolate him on the weak side. If you go one and one, they'll take their shots with Treadwell. He seems to be the guy they have the most confidence downfield on and then they've got two guys that are interesting you know Tavon Austin will they'll try to do with Tavon and they have tried to do what they did with Agnew and that is make him the all-purpose guy catch and run guy run and run guy so you know they'll be running the ball all of a sudden he's a halfback you don't notice it they're running edge play with him like they did with Agnew all of a sudden it's out the gate Tavon can absolutely fly I mean he's not he's never achieved where he was drafted but one thing he can do is burn. If you remember, he had that big game against us when he was at the Rams there several years back, returning kicks and things like that. And then LaVisca Chenault, you know, is is an Anquan Bolden type guy. He's kind of the same thing. You know, he'll line up all over. He's really a hybrid. He's kind of half a receiver, half a tight end, half a running back. So, you know, those four guys are very, very presentable, really. You know, they're very marginal uh, at tight end. Uh, their offensive line right now is totally fluid, you know, partially due to, to COVID. Uh, I've, never, I've never felt like – I've always felt like it was highly invested and very underwhelming, <laughs> to be honest with you. And I'll, I'll get into that. I mean, you know, I, you know, the reason that they have decent sack is really because the kid can run. I mean, he has 333 yards, which has probably been the best, the highlight of his – of his season. So, you know, from a must standpoint, and I'm, I'm going back to that first game is, is we have to play better on the edge. I mean, they beat us consistently on the edge to get that 197 yards. Obviously one of them was 67, but they did a pretty good job all day. And that was a combination of their receivers and their running game and their quarterback. So, you know, I think it's really important to start with that they get nothing on that edge. If we can keep them between the tackles, I, I believe we'll have our way with them. But, you know, their, their run per play is a little bit better than you expect. And, and don't let them shorten the game. What they were able to do with us a little bit in that first game is once they got going, they made enough first downs to shorten the game, you know, and, and we don't want that. We want our offense with the ball all day. And remember, they did outrush us 179 to 127. Uh, and so, you know, again, I think number one is real discipline on the edge, both on the running game, and that includes wide receiver speeds, wide receivers sneaking in the backfield, and then obviously the quarterback, he'll run the zone reads, he's got some NCAA in him, and he'll run the boots. Number two, we got to take the quarterback legs away. Very, It's going to be very difficult for him to consistently uh, win in the pocket. He's just not there right now. Right now, he's indecisive. He is uh, inaccurate. Uh, he makes, you know, obviously indecisive and bad decisions. 
And the other thing that he does, Matt, is he really stares it in. And that's also one of the reasons for all the turnovers is he really stares it in. But what he can do with the 333 yards is he can get out of trouble and he has a big arm. So if he can get out of trouble, if you're not hanging on to your coverage, he can make a big play. Keep him in the pocket, mix the coverage looks, he'll stare it down and make it turn make him turn it over. You've already said it. Seventeen picks. He's ten touchdowns and seventeen picks. I mean, this team is a turnover machine. We're of a turnover machine on defense. So, you know, this should play into us. Again, number three is do have a plan for Jones. I mean, Jones is effective on over routes, third down, red zone. You know, he's got again sixty six catches and eleven three. So he's the guy that you got to clamp on in the clutch, on the third down, on the red zone. And then Treadwell, again, is their deep threat right now. He's the guy that they're pushing it, and you can see it. He's 13-7 per catch. So he's been, when he has caught the ball, you know, when he has caught the ball, it's been effective in terms of yardage, okay? All right, and then I, I'm going to put this in there because I, I, I still I have visions of, of how that Agnew play turned the game around, take away Austin. Okay, don't let Austin get going. Don't let him get on our edge on a speed sweep. Get on him if they throw a quick screen to him. You know, they lack explosiveness at wideout. They lack explosiveness now at running back. So what do they got to do? They've got to get those hybrids, Chenault and primarily Austin, to get explosive plays. So, you know, that's the thing. Those are the threats, particularly those edge threats. Don't let Austin get going. And then number five is we got to attack this offensive line. We we need to get that lead and never relinquish it, never let up. We got it early. We were right on top of them. We're going to run them out of the gym. And then, we, and then that big run kind of changed it mentally again because I don't think this team, as I said, it's highly invested – I'm not sure who's going to play because of COVID, but if Robinson plays, you know, he has been beaten with speed and counter moves. Little, the big guy from Stanford who we looked at in the draft, he has trouble with speed. On the right side, you pointed it out last time, you know, Taylor has got a lot of talent, but he's got lazy feet. You can beat him with second effort. I, I think he's the holding champion historically in the NFL. <laughs> Neither one of their Not guards. Not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said that last week, but you know, neither one of their guards can handle Buckner. So again, if you can, and they, and again, they played with three backups, but we don't know where they're going to be because of COVID. Right. But again, if you can get this team in disadvantage and you keep that quarterback in the pocket, uh, you know, you force this team to turn it over. Like I said, this is a key stat number 32 internal differentiations minus 22 versus a team that has forced teams to turn it over 31 times. Exactly. And that's, that's, we got to get them a disadvantage yep. and make them pay. That's Rick Venturi. This is inside football, breaking down the Colts and the Jaguars. Let's shift over to the Jags on defense. Uh, the unit there gave up 50 points to the Patriots last Sunday. That's the second most allowed in franchise history. Uh, the Jaguars are giving up 28 per game on the season, but that number is up to 31 in the last month, so even worse, they've allowed 22 rushing touchdowns on the season, and the Colts are going to try to run it down the Jaguars' front seven. They've allowed 157 rushing yards per game in the last four. That's 31st in the NFL in that span, 
and this is the least opportunistic group in the NFL. Only seven takeaways on the season. They only have one takeaway on defense in their last five games. They don't get after the quarterback very well, only 26 sacks on the season. And they're 31st. This is a big one for me, Rick. 31st in the NFL on time of possession on defense, which means they're on the field a lot because they can't get stops on third down. So not trying to disparage the Jaguars on defense, but it's hard to deviate from that fact that it's been a a long year for the Jaguars on defense this season. Oh, it's really been a long year. And honestly, you know, I've, I've been in those situations and when you got a quarterback that turns it over as much as that guy, it gets really tough. And last week it was a, it was a it looked like a tennis match a in terms of of, uh, of Patriots secondary guys picking off passes and running with them, uh, and running with them down to the one yard line. You know, I said this going into the first game, and I know it's the coach in me, and people will say, "Oh, that's the coach in you." But you know, you know, I look at stats, and again, I'm going to say it: there's no possible way statistically they should play with us, but when I look at their team and when I look at week 10, I see a little bit different picture. They have a little bit more talent than those numbers show. And if you, if you let them hang on the vine, you know, they're different. You know, I mean, for instance, you know, you've got, a, you've got a really one of the best players in the league in Josh Allen. Now he missed a couple weeks, but you know, he was rusty, but he's back. He gave us fits on the edge. He gave us, he gave uh, us left tackle all kinds of fits. You know, Jack, Miles Jack, is one of the best players in the league. Wilson, along with him, is a good linebacker. The guy that really hurt us, if you remember, and he was right at our strength. Now, Nelson was banged up on that ankle, but, you know, uh, uh, you know Robertson Harris mm-hmm. uh, really gave us fits last week. And what they did against us, and they have no reason not to do it again, and I think if I were playing us, it's the way I would play us regardless of what I had, is they basically got into five-man pressures almost every down. You know, either double sink or under bringing the Sam or bringing a guy inside, and then they just played hard press with it. I mean, and so they kind of got in our face, you know, and once they got going a little, looked like they weren't going to be worth a darn. Once they got going a little, they just got better and better. And I'm not sure at the end of the day that they may on that Sunday, and I don't think that they can do it again, but on that Sunday, I'm not sure they didn't play us as well defensively as anybody in the league. Now, they have a NASCAR package, and you know, and, and normally that's four guys. Well, it's more than four because they've had a lot of guys in and out. But if you look at them individual, if you get behind an account, and we saw it in week 10, you know, Allen has five and a half. Smoot has five. Ward has two. Chase on and Robertson Harris. They and then Brian has two. They they've got they've got the potential to if they get ahead in the count to put four guys in that pass rush that are pretty pretty doggone good. And particularly Smoot and Allen. And then as I said, uh, Robertson Harris just gave us fits inside in that in that first game. He really did. So you know, I mean, again. This is, the, this is the thing that you have to be alert for. Again, my eyes tell me that they are capable of a better game than their numbers show, particularly if their offense just doesn't put them in a jam mm-hmm. right. every single down. Now, here are the must, okay? And I, I do think you, you, you alluded to it just on the intro here. We've got to take the life out of them with Taylor. I mean, nothing, nothing is more demoralizing than have that play 
have that run just run down your throat. And, and I think we have to pound them early and, and, and not be afraid to work the edges, not be afraid to run right at Allen, run right at Ward. You know, sometimes I, I think, you know, we, we give them too much credit. Some of those rushers aren't really good, um, aren't, aren't really good necessarily run players. If you get in some three wides, they're totally predict- predictable and they're less physical. So you can pound them there. You know, again, don't let them hang on the vine like we did in week 10. You know, just get them there early, beat the heck out of them, get Jonathan running down their throat and get after him this time. Again, I'm going to say number two, and this goes back to our original discussion in this podcast, is we got to take advantage of the predictable eight-man front we've got to get, okay? Their corners will be undressed every first down and second and medium, and Pitt, Pittman and Hilton must win on the outside. Whether it's man-to-man or zone, their linebackers are going to flow like hell, and a play pass over the middle is there as well. So, again, this is this is one of those games that that you know you you, you got to pound them, but you have to take your shots selectively on first down. And not only do you have to win it to this game, you have to reestablish that if we're going to go anywhere. If we're going to go anywhere beyond Sunday, we got to be able to out. We got to be able to reestablish that we can win on the outside fringes of the field. Okay. Now, we've got to be alert for a big blitz game. they got nothing to lose. We've shown vulnerabilities. They rushed us with five all day once they got going, five and six. So we have got to really be ready for that. And not only just ready for Sunday, again, this is another issue. We have got to shore up that blitz pickup. And, you know, it's kind of a team thing. It's not just on the offensive line. It's on everybody. But we are, we are showing people how to beat us right now. We've got to stop that because you know it's a copycat league. And, again, if they want to blitz us, we should invite it and put the pressure on their perimeter. Again, the other thing be ready for is we got to be ready for a big press game, okay? Teams that play us soft do us a favor. We don't have receivers, including Pittman, that are really good versus press. They don't do a lot of one-on-one just beating people. Most of the time they get open versus off coverage, off three, or they get because Frank does a good job of rubbing and picking on the stack, and he creates access for them. Okay, we've got to be ready for that hard press game, and if we can't win one-on-one, then we've got to get into our bunch game, our stack game, you know, our cross rubs, all those kinds of things. Because, again, you, you can see what I'm anticipating. I'm anticipating five-man rush almost every down, hard press, and say the hell with it. we got nothing to lose. Right. We're going to get in your face and try to take it away. You know, and I think this, but probably the last must, and this probably really is a team must, is we just got to establish the line of scrimmage and keep it. I mean, we got to challenge them all over the field. We got to go in there to win it, not, oh, we got to get through this and get in the playoff. No, no, no. We got to go in there and win it and do whatever it takes to win it. You know, and, and again, a lot of it is a little bit, and I'm not saying balance in numbers, I'm saying balance in production. Yeah, there's a big difference right there between number of passing plays and number of passing yards when you equate that to the rushing game as well for the Colts. Lastly, Rick, I know, again, as we wrap up here, I mean, you sit here and look at the big picture on this game, 2-14 and 14 versus a team that needs to win to clinch a playoff spot. I know the Jaguars have lost eight straight. They're going to pick in the top five of the draft for the eighth time in the last 11 years. 
They're going to finish in last place in the AFC South for the eighth time in the last 14 years. Um, I, I get all of that, but this is still a place where the Colts have not won for whatever reason since 2014, and they have two really good wins on the season over the Bills and the Dolphins. We said all along, if the Colts get to 10 wins, that yep. should be enough, and it will be if they get the job done. But the Colts, they've got to be laser-focused to win this game. If the Colts lose this game, Rick, it would be one of the biggest tragedies the franchise has ever seen. You know, absolutely right. It, it would be catastrophic in that sense. I don't even want to think about it. And, you know, in the end, and, and you're right, this is it. You know, we've said all along after that bad start, if we could fight back to 10, uh, you know, we'll do it. We'll be in, and we will be. And it, it, it should be full laser. You use that term, I use that term, full laser focus on the Jags. Tune out the media and local noise. You know, we embraced it versus New England week. This week, turn it out. Don't go right. out to eat. Yep. Stay home and eat. Got order out, carry out, that kind of stuff. Don't go out and get influenced like this. Focus on your job and Think about what we have to do better from week 10. I want a lot of thought about week 10, not last week. Remember, and this is important on any given Sunday, Mm -hmm. is an NFL reality. It's not a joke. It's not a cliche. Nothing more dangerous than a wounded dog with nothing to lose. Okay? Go to Jacksonville and explode on them from play one and never, ever let up for 60 minutes. And don't go in there and be surprised if you don't get into a battle. Yeah. In the end, bring your A game, ferocious determination, and you will be successful, and we will move on. And once again, in closing, to quote Frank Reich, why not us? <laughs> there you go. That's a good breakdown, as always. Good little speech there for the Colts as they embark on a <laughs> must-win game for them. You gave me the other. Uh, you gave me the number the other day, Rick. How many how many hours of film did you break down here in the regular season? What was the number? Oh, and and I don't want to wear that on my sleeve because you match me every you know. No, but your that's preparation. It's it, you know I know how hard you work at it, and I'm just trying to keep up with you. I think I figured. <laughs> I think I figured about, and I didn't count the preseason. Yeah. Because, you know, I didn't count the preseason, but I think I think we I think I'm right about 450 hours of, <laughs> of, of tape. I mean, is that crazy? But you know what? No, not really. That is a, that's a labor of love. I mean, that's you know that's something that I, I I was brought up on. I grew up on, and honestly, I probably you know people say, do you really have to do that? You know, and I guess I want it, but I would feel like I was cheating the public if I didn't. You yeah. just it's just my way. You know, it's geeky. It's you know, a lot of times it's probably over technical, but you know, I just don't know another way. I, I you know, you bring you bring the juice to the per- and, and and hopefully, you know, I bring a little instruction to the game. Yeah, well, you keep me. You definitely keep me instructed there. But no, I mean, if you do the math, that equates to about twenty six hours per week yeah. breaking down tape. Yeah. And then if you do that six days a week, that's only about four hours a day. That's not crazy, not in my opinion, anyways. No, and you know what? I you know I'm, I'm I have the the work hours of a farmer. I guess I developed <laughs> it during my coaching career. You know, I I don't mind getting up at four. Now I do go to bed early. Don't get me wrong. My wife's on my butt all the time. Miss Sherry's just on my butt about that. But you know, it is what it is. I I usually spend from about four thirty to eight thirty just in the privacy of my little man cave and, mm-hmm. you know, looking at tape and then, you know, and then one day a week it's, it's taking all those ideas and putting it down on paper, right. and, 
you know, typing it out because I'm one of those old fashioned guys. If I write something down, if I write it down and then type it, if I do it twice, very seldom do I ever have to refer to it because yeah, it's, it's there. kind of my way of learning, you know, and I'm I, the same way. And, and that's, but I'm set, you know, it's, People don't realize the preparation that we do. I know what you do. I know how you come loaded for a game, and I come loaded. I, you know, and I, it, it's it's to me, it's seven days a week. We might, you know, sometimes on a bye week, I'll take one day, mm-hmm. but overall, it's seven days a week, and that's four hours every day on that stuff. So, but you know what? It's it's worth it. We're enjoying it. Really love doing the games with you. I I just so look forward to it. Yeah, same. Could not agree more. Absolutely, and. Uh, we're going to reset it, get out that tape on some of those playoff teams that the Colts could potentially yeah. play because as of right now, we're not going to know until, what, late Sunday, Sunday night? night? After yeah, the, we uh, won't know till Sunday night. That I don't know if they flexed that game or it was scheduled did. that way. I guess they, they flexed did. it Oakland or Las Vegas and, and San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I I actually, at your I, – I, I'm, I'm taking your advice. I did Kansas City and uh, Cincinnati with the emphasis on Cincinnati this yep. morning and uh, – I told you that was like an AFL 1965. You talk about quarterback play. No oh my God! A lot of Joe Namath in that game. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, really? I swear to God, to you. it looked like the San Diego Chargers, New York Jets in the 60s. Exactly. Well, I'm I'm hoping there's a week 19 for this team, and uh, yeah. we're doing this podcast again next uh, Wednesday, talking about a playoff matchup. So. Here's to that, my friend. Have a great rest of the week, and uh, we'll talk to you on Sunday for a must-win game for the Colts, Rick. Looking forward to it. All right, partner. You got it. That's Rick Venturi. As always, I'm Matt Taylor. It's the Colts and the Jaguars in week number 18, the regular season finale. If the Colts win, they're in, and they would snap a road-losing streak that dates back to 2014 against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, again, this is the last regular season edition of Inside Football. Hopefully we're talking to you again next week here on the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody, on Colts.com, the Colts mobile app, and anywhere else you download your podcast on the Colts Audio Network.